0: Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the August 20, 2019 edition of Ask a Leader. This date, is the estimated 400-year anniversary of the first arrival of slaves to Virginia the responsibility with which our society continues to grapple in every sector up until this very moment, among other coverage? The show on September 11th will devote the full hour to reparations. Now for today's show, clergywoman Dr. Terry Lapage will return to ask a leader to offer another kind of Christianity in these times where some brands of theology seem to be in crisis. Or to paraphrase an oft-heard campaign refrain, she has a resolution for that. We will devote the full hour to this topic. So, well, we'll be back in a short break uh, and with Terry LePage. Don't go away, folks. Well, welcome back to the show. Thanks, everybody, for staying tuned. Returning to Ask a Leader is my guest for the full hour, Dr. Terry LePage, formerly the Transitional Minister at Brea Congregational United Church of Christ, here to deliver grounded commentary about different ways in which Protestant Christians are engaged in civic life along with trends within particular belief systems. She's served eight churches around Southern California. She sees spirituality, the Christian gospel, and social justice as inextricably linked and is often seen at rallies for human rights around Orange County. Terry has blended her entrepreneurial with her spiritual proclivities when she formed Open Door Communication. She serves on the editorial team of Connecting Voices, and she completed her bachelor's degree in chemistry at UC Davis, her PhD in chemistry at Columbia University, and her Master's of Divinity at Claremont School of Theology. She joins us in studio. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Terry LePage.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here. Well,
0: thank you. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time as, as more and more news develops with how various Christian sectors are responding to the political moments we've had increasingly as, and, and, and more so since January 2017. So when we look at what evangelism has become in the American body politic. I have to say that theologian Karen Armstrong, who wrote in, it was in 2000 was published the battle for God. She had it pretty sorted out the clash between logic and myth and fundamentalism seems to be playing out in how evangelists see their place. It's intensified into some serious tribal polarization. So, um, the evangelicals firmly believing that God has, been, has chosen the president as, and is protecting him. How, did, how do you respond to that current evangelism?
1: So I want to recognize that not all evangelicals think that way. I think that's important. Um, one of the things about uh, evangelicals in the United States is that it tends to be a very hierarchical church. And so when a leader decides something, they tell their people how to vote. Um, In theory, you're not supposed to be able to do that and keep your tax-exempt status. But a wink and a nod and a you-know-what-you-need-to-do is sufficient. And a lot of... um, in the pews in the chairs evangelicals really held their noses and voted for Trump because they wanted to stack the supreme court well i we
0: can get into more of those political aspects to it but i i guess it's it's sort of the the how the theology has been to some extent Increasingly fetishized, and you can you can call me on whether the word choice is even appropriate, Terry. But I, I I guess when I look at what keeps unfolding is I see there's an inverse relationship: the less nuance there is, there is more irony, and it's it's difficult with with some of our belief systems to watch how this can be taking place in our body politic so um let me
1: address let's talk theology in terms of story okay like what story are they using to justify supporting trump who is unjustifiable in his ethics in so many ways by any standard of christian ethics and uh, a common narrative has been that he is the new king cyrus And you'll find King Cyrus in the historical books of the Old Testament. He was the king of Persia when Persia conquered Babylon, when the Jews were in exile in Babylon. And he was actually called the Savior in the book of Isaiah, even though he was not a Jew, not the Savior. He was a Savior. But he was... The ruler of a foreign land. And I think one of the things that that narrative of calling Trump Cyrus does is it says, this is not our home. He's just a tool to get us what what we want. And that is a really dangerous narrative because we have a democracy to protect. And is Cyrus's name...
0: To, to the extent that you're aware of the, how the sermonizing is taking place or is it maybe in the sort of in social media in other media platforms where Cyrus is invoked or can you imagine that this figurehead this story is being told in every single er, and uh, often in sermons no
1: i don't think so i don't, i think a lot of people are not that theologically aware okay um but but the story in the back see in inst- the, the, the crucial question is the polarization, and to what extent do you label the people who aren't giving you what you want the enemy and say, get what we want by any means necessary? And that appears to be what a lot of evangelical leaders have done is, and followers, is say, we want what we want by any means necessary, and Trump is the any means necessary
0: so it's then politics over ideology and voting
1: politics over character yeah with that story yeah i think so and of course everyone wants to justify their own purity and if you're an evangelical that's especially crucial right so they will go to great lengths to deny that right right and 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 if they've only been watching fox news they may actually be ignorant of a lot of the ethical horrors that Trump has perpetrated.
0: Well, I'd like you to comment on, it's a recent piece. It's a political analyst. He's well established as a, like an expert on the Korean peninsula. He was formerly a a Republican, I would say operative, but hasn't been active in Republican politics for a while. But he really wanted to sort of post- Well, it's actually on Twitter, but I know he's posted it elsewhere. He's wanted to make it absolutely clear why he will support anyone but the incumbent in the White House. And I want to quote a few things because he calls out evangelicals specifically in how he distances himself. And uh, I'm going to quote him with linking several different pieces that, that aren't in one single quotation, but several things he said. And I quote, Robert E. Kelly, as I call him, the disaffected Republican, admonishing that, quote, evangelicals couldn't care less about personal virtue. Trump's personal behavior is so appalling, spiteful, mean-spirited, selfish adulterous that evangelical support for him auto-demolishes any ethical virtue argument they make. We never need to make moralistic arguments from religious conservatives again. Evangelicals sold their soul to Trump for judges and access. So comment on how unequivocally he's shredded legitimacy of evangelicals thinking those of whom have given their full support to the, the president.
1: So I. Again, I want to be careful about painting all evangelicals with the same brush. I think that last line is pretty pretty spot on uh, in my judgment. Uh, you want to repeat it for us just so we got it?
0: Evangelicals sold their soul to Trump for judges and access. Part
1: of what I was ca- yeah, thinking of right. as
0: fetishizing their theology.
1: So, yeah, that language just doesn't connect with me. But what I want to point out is that... Um a lot of a lot of the rank and file are deeply grieved and and have been alienated from have felt like they haven't had a voice, and in particular have felt um, manipulated uh, by by previous Republican administrations who made them lots of promises and didn't follow through. And they're scared. They are scared about progressive politics, pro- progressive social situations, this really feels like a threat to them and scared people do unwise things. Well, I
0: guess I'm I'm going to shuffle a few
1: pieces elements of this interview around because
0: what I found very very compelling is Karen Armstrong, it's not a recent talk she gave, it's been it's been over a decade, but it's still spot on. She's talking about why the golden rule is so important. It's such an important driver in all religion. And why the why the golden rule seems to be set aside in you're you're talking about their fear, but that the fear do they not see that love love another person, love a different person, love a non Christian, love a Muslim, love a gay person. Why is the, treating somebody else the way you'd want to be treated, where did that get where did the golden
1: rule get set aside? So so massively. You know, when I meet individual evangelicals, many of them really are trying to live by the golden rule. They are in ignorance and they are told what to do by their leaders. Their leaders, that's a that's the hierarchy story. you are talking about. Yeah, they can't believe it. I, they're you know, I actually I just had a, a startling thought as I was preparing for this interview that our new voting plan in California, the vote centers and everybody receiving a vote by mail ballot, evangelical free thinkers who would like to vote against what their husband says or what their church says, uh-huh. now their husband or their church can control their mail-in ballot and make sure they vote the way they should.
0: Oh, wow. Well, we'll talk with Neil Kelly about that in yeah, February. I He's think, always I on. Think that's
1: an important conversation to have because I know that ballot box, that privacy of the ballot box has been
0: huge. And we actually, speaking of hierarchies, like one of them, like a quintessential hierarchy, it was an issue maybe in the aughts, the 2000 aughts is when the Department of Defense administered the vote by mail with servicemen and women overseas that it, they had the capacity to overlook look Look at what the their enlisted officer, exactly. that Same they can issue. watch how they're voting. So this kind of thing could be translated directly in how the decentralized form of early voting and all voting could be taking place in California.
1: It's an issue that I hadn't considered that's deeply disturbing. The people who most need a voice may be prevented from having one. For
0: those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to Ask a Leader. My guest is Dr. Terry LaPage, recently, formerly a transitional minister at Brea Congregational United Church of Christ, taking up how Christians, including evangelicals, are engaged in civic life in the U.S. in these times. So is there anything else about some of the the new voting organization that, that... comes to you besides what you're talking about this is this is sort of major and uh, and I will talk Neil Kelly will be on this show February 3rd that's that's how much of a value they put in community radio they we're we're set he's always uh, participating so I just
1: want to put a plug in for Neil we are so lucky to have him as our registrar of voters in Orange County he's uh, amazing The gold standard around the country yeah I also want to put a plug in for the church, which I serve not as their minister, but as a lay member, um, which is Irvine United Congregational Church. And we are socially active and uh, unashamedly welcome welcoming of LGBTQ people and um, just want to make sure people know that such churches exist. Well, plugging churches, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't see that coming, but we, ha, I got, it we got the the
0: autonomy of community radio is bliss when we can do, we can take ourselves uh, to, in, in, to any kind of charter that we please. So, and we're going to, ta- we'll unpackage more about what those offerings are for people that are looking for ways in which to be Christians, civically speaking. So, so then, but to, let's start with the general. Talk about Terry LePage, how you see the role of clergy in times such as these. You talked about the hierarchical arrangement in evangelical uh, institutions, but talk about the, the role of the clergy in these times and the
1: role of the congregants in these times. So it will really depend on the church. Speaking about the church I just finished up serving, And that's in Brea's right in Orange County. And you you talk to
0: me a lot about what you witnessed in adaptive kinds of theology and civic mindedness.
1: Right. So that is a very socially active church. They're a creation justice church, which means they've taken formal measures to protect the environment and and make that an ongoing part of their life and ministry. They are open and affirming to LGBTQ people. And in fact, most of the people who walk through their doors are there because they are a gay affirming church. So so there's a selection. That is, uh, you know, a political statement right there. And they don't take stands on everything, but they support their members to take stands and be active on anything they wish to be. And they have some very active community members, as does Irvine UCC. Um, And so the clergy are very autonomous in my particular denomination. And what I see is that different clergy have really different responses to our current political climate. Um, And and I've really been trying to figure this one out myself. I don't get to tell people what to do. They say being a UCC pastor is like herding cats. So does the do the sermons and
0: and the the leadership within this christian justice church creation justice church do do they self-consciously talk about the structure as being other than hierarchical or how how does that get Sort of mention, or is it is by not by the fact that no stand is taken, but stands are supported.
1: So it's an interesting thing when you actually preach the gospels, especially Matthew and Luke, you end up preaching social justice in general terms. Um, and and I honestly don't quite understand how evangelicals are so good at ignoring that. In in part because there is a specific theology called supersessionist or uh, there's another name for it, I'm forgetting, where th- there are eras where different rules from God apply, and the Gospels of Matthew and Luke no longer apply because the letters of Paul superseded them, which I think is just so ridiculous.
0: Well, that came up in some of the presidential candidate forums, right? where uh, Mayor Pete from South Bend in Indiana as an Episcopalian, he brought up a quote that was uh, a Proverbs fourteen thirty one. 31. Uh, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And so I, I noticed that there was a real reaction. So it's sort of like, how dare he invoke that passage? And I don't know which, which where uh, in Proverbs, where, oh, did you, oh, you have that with you?
1: Well, it's there. Just so you know, Proverbs is not popular to preach on, except for the part that puts women in their place. Okay, so <laughs> um, there's cher- cherry picking going on every single day There is practice. There is no way to not cherry pick the Bible because it is such a diverse document. However, I think that the Gospels should be cher- cherry picked first. On account of, you know, we got this whole Jesus thing going on and they are supposedly his words. So, yes, um, for a church like Brea, Matthew 25 is central. May I read to you? Please do. This is. Starts at 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man, that would be the risen Christ, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and he will sit on the throne of his glory, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from the other, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, etc. Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I think, you know, Arizona water bottles? Right. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Here we are back at the border. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. People released from prison with the clothes on their back and $200. People without shelter. Yeah. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink, etc.? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Now, if you want to get technical, members of my family might mean only Christians, which almost every refugee and immigrant at our border is. So So, this oh, is what dear. binds us, and what you know it, it actually crushes our hearts, uh, uh, progressive Christians to watch the extent to which people are spitting on Jesus yeah that's when you spit on another human being, you spit on jesus
0: i 'm letting everybody participating in this interview <sighs> let this all sink in because I guess this Sensibility is why we have so much difficulty in, in these recent times witnessing the, the loathsome sensibility, the loathsome reaction, and the, the hypocrisy. You haven't used the word hypocrisy yet, but it looms uh, always in making this, these distinctions.
1: Well, and to be honest... A lot of us progressives were not politically active before the recent election. We were, you know, politely turning a blind eye to um, these kinds of wrongs, but we've kind of hit our limit.
0: Right. It's been, it's been an amazing learning period for all of us. Right. And, uh, and with the more I learn, the more I know I need to keep learning more. It's that, it gets, it's that expansive of an obligation. So what has, let's talk about how your congregation, your recent one that you, you can talk about the one that you're now a part of, not as a, a transitional minister, but how did the Brea Congregational United Church of Christ respond to the evangelical dynamics in the national body politic?
1: So we want to be proactive rather than reactive And we have uh, principles of nonviolence and of treating other people with respect. Now, do we always, in our private conversation, live up to those principles? Well, of course not. But in public, we really work hard to do so. Um, We have a street sign. And um, around Christmas time, it said, Jesus was an immigrant refugee, which is out of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, all, we, we put up whatever we can think of that comments on the time on that street sign. And it's interesting cause we get random people calling our, our office message machine saying that message made my day or you inspire me every time I drive by. So really, they I call it the, the ministry of the street sign because people so need, uh, I mean, imagine you know religion is supposed to inspire and lift up your best principles. And when you see religious people going along with shameful evil things, it it's so despairing for people who are who are trying to live their religious principles. I I'm I guess I'm calling on a a kind of a
0: different practice than you're trained in, but I know you've had opportunities to consider what do you think psychologically? This this must be taking a toll. We'll talk about intergenerational tolls, but there must be a cost with that hypocrisy on on any one good Christian. I'm
1: sure that's true, but I'm kind of over it. I'm my own Christian, and I don't answer they for those people. They get to own people. it, and you're
0: busy, too busy. What, to.
1: what has grieved me so yes. deeply is to be a part of a country to watch us go backwards in terms of democracy and human rights and civil rights and, you know, for, for race hatred to be uh, basically glorified for the treatment of human beings like you wouldn't stand your pets to be treated, to be um, brushed aside as no problem, that grieves me. I mean, I, I write sermons and I cry
0: yes it's it's close to the surface and it comes up a lot and i opened the show with a a nod to this day august 20th being a 400th anniversary of when the first slave ships arrived and i'm already seeing the whole there's a there's a, a an abyss opening up the tribes in our country are responding to that there's those who feel like they need to we need to own what consequences have come from our country being built on slavery and the other tribe saying this is all bunk this this is that um, it's a it's essentially a supremacist kind of disposition is that's just the way it was supposed to be uh, there's nothing to own nothing to nothing going on over here kind of attitude from people in really high positions of political and I imagine religious power too but it's so that hashtag, Sixteen nineteen is a kind of um, it's it's another kind of of marker of how far we're separating from each other and how how we're acknowledging the toll of slavery on
1: generation after generation. So yes, and the thing that I learned personally while I was at Brea is the extent to which we don't understand Orange County's deeply racist history how almost everywhere in Orange County was a sundown town so that when the angels relocated to Anaheim I believe it was in 1965 okay the angels who were black were told well you can only live in Santa Ana or I believe it was East Fullerton over there okay there there is no place else in Orange County where you are allowed to live wow In 1965,
0: so I know you were talking about whether certain institutions in Brea were to be renamed because of white supremacists whose names were used for very pivotal place names. So, you've been doing more digging around about how 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 institutionalized racism was
1: and how firm denial is in the quote unquote pillars of the community. Yeah. Um. They will go to any lengths to prove that they and their ancestors are good people who did nothing wrong, and their identity appears to rely on that. Admitting that their ancestors weren't perfect is beyond them.
0: That's what I was thinking about when I was saying that that nuance is sinking and irony is on the rise, and that it's it's. I don't. I guess it's difficult to grasp why nuance is is not something owned by really really a dogmatic evangelicals.
1: And and the irony sort of, of deprives it them of really is, interesting stuff. Yeah. So so the the core Christian message which progressives sometimes struggle with is about we are all sinners, i.e. we all blow it. We will never be perfect. We just give and receive grace and forgiveness, it's right? A
0: constant process.
1: Yeah. And and not cheap grace shall we say you know we hold each other accountable as well and so what i find in the churches i serve i try to bring a level of truth telling i admit my own failings and i set the tone that way and and i think part of the evangelical um bind is that their clergy think they have to be perfect And so they have a long way to fall and a lot to cover up. And you notice how sexual scandal just never really seems to make the news, even though it happens over and over. It happens everywhere, but particularly, ironically, it happens in evangelical churches, right? Right, right. Where the hierarchy has a power dynamic that is the perfect recipe for abuse. And covering up abuse.
0: Which is abuse. (laughs) Right, (laughs) So for those of you who have joined us, you are listening to Ask a Leader on Radio KUCI, and we're on every single imaginable platform. You can follow us on TuneIn Radio, and anybody who's listening, new friends, uh, old friends from Denmark, I hope uh, hope you're uh, getting a lot out of this today. Thanks for everything earlier this month, and I. Uh, we're on point. 9 FM and streaming live on KUCI.org and all the other media platforms. Dr. Terry LePage is my guest. She's formerly the transitional minister at Brea Congregational United Church of Christ. And we're talking about Christians, including evangelicals, engaged in civic life in these times in our country. So you have kindly shared with me in preparation of this interview the 2019 Resolutions of the United Church of Christ General Synod? Is that, see C- C- how little Synod. I'm. Synod, yeah. Synod, oh boy. And so I and I look at it, to read it, uh, uh, this hefty list of affirming is what UCC congregants can do as neighbors and inhabitants of the planet. Would you like to speak to any of the particular resolutions which stand in a kind of a sharp definition to the lack of nuanced sort of theology that we're talking about in very dogmatic evangelical circles
1: well i think what is appropriate for me to share is that one of these resolutions my church was instrumental to bringing to the general synod and just so you know the general synod is a meeting that happens every two years of united church of christ uh delegates from churches and it's the the national setting of the church where decisions are made. And some of those decisions affect church government, and some of those decisions are resolutions of witness, as most of these are, which is the church's, that particular body saying, hey, this is a theological, a moral matter, and we have a stand on it. And now bearing in mind that individual United Church of churches of christ are independent and may or may not agree with those resolutions but they are invited to study them i have never worked with churches to study them before this year although i've been a delegate okay let me get down to the okay well that's interesting (laughs)
0: that you were talking earlier about the where there's a hierarchy and this and this says this speaks to that that uh, a difference in construct
1: yeah, it's democratic. The, yes. the gathered body of delegates votes and decides you know whether to amend, whether to approve. And mostly they approve because these are talking points and talk is cheap. So when oh, we were the first uh, denomination to publicly support gay marriage, for instance, in 2005. Wow. But it wasn't binding on local churches and pastors. So it was an easier bar than other denominations. So keeping that in mind... I'm tr- I'm looking for okay. the. There is there one it? in particular so here. The here? It's, it's support extensive. Of the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act of 2019, which is a bill in in the Under House consideration of right now
0: in the U.S. Congress.
1: Um, that is. Uh, the Brea Church has a very active um citizens climate lobby group that meets in our building most of the although it is not run by the church most of the board are church members and and the church is 100% behind it. And so um as well we, as the
0: support of the gre- new the green new deal I, that's also I, I shuffled the order around but that both of them and right. that speaks
1: volumes too about was that part of the of that the- that was not uh uh a, an issue that our church was invited to consider okay and we, di- we did not but we were invited to consider that the energy innovation and carbon dividend act so we had a congregational meeting and we studied it as a congregation and we voted to support it now that's new for that congregation they have not been that socially active before but they will be in the future they've been woke
0: Okay, and it's largely because of congregants that are affiliated with the Citizens climate lobby. It's not, there, not that there was within the church a discussion that kept brewing up, is that we got to do you know, more with this climate. There's, it's a there's little bit no of both. difference the, okay. the two
1: things are saying the same thing. It's a small church.
0: Okay, okay. Are there some additional measures, resolutions that you would like to bring up so people understand the, the alternatives to a, the, a dogma that seems to shut out? Addressing the ills.
1: Well, um, you will see a lot of social justice stuff. And I haven't had a chance to digest this stuff. It's really, it's only about a month oh, old. It's fresh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. What I do know is that there are a few colleagues who will do summer sermon series, one on each topic. And I struggle as deeply committed to social action I still, the church is not a body for social action. It's a body for spiritual direction, right? And spiritual community. And so what I found was that I needed to start with the spiritual and then it would often take me into social action and then come back to the spiritual. And I'm going to be working on that on my blogs. You know I'm a blogger. Yes, yes, yes.
0: Give the pitch for that. Well,
1: <laughs> the, about the, for yeah. our master gardener here, I have a, a, a blog called calif- canativegarden.blogspot.com. Um, and then my sermons can be found at justshine1 at blogspot.com. Um, what I want to do is offer people spiritual support for the time of loss that we're in both loss of our democratic principles, our progressive things that we thought we had gained, and our loss of environment and possibly even a future. Um, I think we need spiritual tools to face that loss and not go into despair or denial.
0: So there's this tension that you bring
1: up between the theological
0: practice And social activism, and I was actually, I was right in the middle of that. Where I was uh, the guest of a, uh, it's just one level below the the bishop's office in uh, a major Danish city, and so, and I was opining him. I said, I was, I was asking him, would you kindly step up the activist? Is there a way with your theological role that? that taking responsibility can be both theological and socially active, you know, taking responsibility in any way. And, and he, he would say, I can't sermonize about taking action, but, and I said, but isn't there, isn't there a part way to go to them? And you're, you're bringing that up now. Is there, that tension is
1: always there. So I don't get to tell people what to do, uh, but I get to frame issues theologically. And um, Can you give us a wonderful example? Or let you think about that while we,
0: we uh, continue the conversation. Okay. There must there. I'm sure you had them because I, I know you so well and have, have plenty of opportunity to take messages and carry them and share them. And I'm so grateful for that. Well, there. Besides, um, we were talking a little bit about the cherry picking. There, there were some more responses to what's going on, uh, in. Christianity today they took exception to, oh we talked about this that taking a lesser known quote and you were saying cherry picking, everybody's doing it. So there's no there's no supreme determinator that the cherry picking is, is, is calling foul on uh, somebody else's citation of that. It's just sort of, it's the flavor of the day, everybody picks their own flavor.
1: Yeah and I gotta tell you that Pete picked an obscure one Cause I, I really was. You know. I hadn't remembered it was
0: there. Well, so and and there were forums where they said all the all, there are all kinds of searches on the internet about you know where did that come from and they they were but you can
1: look it but, up but, it's but in it's, every Bible.
0: But is it not interesting though that he was ready with that? So it's either a, a crack staff or this guy's got some some deep reaches in his Christian practice.
1: Well, I think, I think it's, he knows it's there, and somebody did a search for him and pulled up that, that line. I don't know that that was his personal Bible verse, as they sometimes have in evangelical uh, circles. But I want to read to you, Please. Micah 6.8 is very well known, and it is inscribed on, in the entryway of uh, Irvine United Congregational Church, and it is their verse— God has told you, o, mort- o mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God.
0: Humility. That's, uh, that is one of the most nuanced dispositions we can have.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so in the vein of humility... And, and actually, it was my son, Claudia, who called this to my attention. And really? I love it when my son teaches me something. He's 25 years old. does get better. Spiritual, but not religious. Um, he pointed out that th- the conservatives and, and the evangelicals have felt like they are losing the culture wars for a while, have felt like the progressives are winning and in terms of gay rights i mean we'd, we've made tremendous strides and in terms of people randomly having children without the benefit of marriage um I'm, I'm not sure i'm very comfortable with that one but as i say i don't get to tell tell people what to do anyways they really felt beleaguered and beleaguered people get scared and scared people get desperate and they're acting like desperate people so
0: this existential threat that they feel. It's a kind of a negative feedback loop for them yeah. if they're hunkering down in that fear. And then they are rearing the next generation or two. And that, I'd like for you to speak to the response from younger generations who I can call out one area of, of issues is on. Per, Particularly immigration, they seem to see something missing in the dogma of the, their parents' evangelism.
1: Yeah. So the one personal experience that I have with that is after we lost in Brea to try to rename Fanning Elementary because Mr. Fanning had been in the his, clan. His full name, William e. F- I believe it's William E. Okay. Fanning sabino so we as were all the other. Or, or almost all the elders. elders, the other elders of, of the community, including the minister of the church I later served. When that battle was lost, um, I was talking with another Brea minister, who is more conservative than me, because they all are, and he said, you know, the older people don't get it, but the kids get it, and and they will... Chart a different course. And he's so right. My son doesn't always get class, but he doesn't care about color.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And in that, really, it's a recent coverage in the Washington Post. There were both conservative evangelicals and progressive evangelicals that were interviewed. And in the conservative evangelical family circle, the younger generation was queried about how they felt about their parents dogma then dogma wasn't the word that was used but I, I don't political stance they political stance and yeah. so so it was sort of like they there there was a a, a jovial tension but a tension there and that there's a, this throwaway line of oh, well you know I can, I can always go back to my will and change it like if they, if they thought that their child was parting company with their their belief system, but it it sort of every time the subject came back to the younger generation of this evangelical family, that younger generation really kept fresh the thought that there were many unaddressed aspects of their theology in that dogmatic setting that their parents were living in. And it was, and I want to bring up, there are other evangelicals that are taking charge and I, I imagine that, that there is a there's a demographic aspect to it there, there are younger evangelicals there's the evangelicals for justice Bernie evangelicals young evangelicals for climate action and progressive evangelicals and that's sort of naming some so there's so I, I'd i like for you to to comment Terry on the existential threat that conservative evangelicals Are experiencing, back to I was talking earlier, but I I want you to fully address. So they are sort of it's a self-inflicted kind of injury by hunkering down so intensely. They're pushing out the younger generations from continuing that belief system.
1: That's got to be, and that the toll that takes
0: intergenerationally. I,
1: I think that one of the things that happens is us old people don't see our hypocrisy very clearly, and our kids do. Well, the bandwidth with fear,
0: there's not much room to detect to, 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 to ta- right. hypocrisy. Right. It's
1: full. Right. And, and that's interesting because I think probably fear prevents humility. Right. To be humble, you have to be brave.
0: Super brave, you're being vulnerable and you can't you can't have carry that all
1: right right no. um, I think that what usually happens i I can't comment on where the older generation is coming from because because it's so far from my world. There was a time when religion was uh, what's the phrase you know it it, it, it was a, a golden exclusive blanket over you. That created a worldview for you that was whole and made sense. And everybody who shared that worldview had it in common. And of course, Jews paid the price and Catholics and Protestants had wars over it. But, you know, in the U.S., the only way you can get that, uh, you know, 360 uh, worldview is is to really isolate yourself and to just shut out everything. And if you don't have that worldview, then you're subject to all kinds of opinions that you gotta sort through. And you know it's work. It's hard work. It's hard work and and it and it's beautiful work,
0: Terry. For goodness sake, it's beautiful
1: and guess what our our education and our news media are not giving people the tools to do it but here's a beautiful thing that happens when people actually read the gospels and this happened to me when i was growing up you hear kindness you hear peacemaking you hear social justice because jesus said it and so each new generation that actually goes and reads the gospels goes hey wait, wait a, a minute, minute. It's beautiful. Unfortunately, what often happens is they go, the church is full of it. I'm leaving and they never come back. If we're lucky, they go, the church is full of it. I'm leaving. Oh, look, there's Brea Congregational with the outrageous street signs. Maybe I can go there. So I want to directly quote what the progressive
0: evangelical say. It's just for you to respond to that This unfortunate turn of events is reversible. Evangelical expressions of faith has existed as an alternative to the fundamentalist impulses in America and Christianity for decades. It is time to strengthen and make more public a positive, inclusive, well-informed evangelical expression of faith that is not beholden to fundamentalist leanings nor conservative politics.
1: Absolutely. Unfortunately, they don't have the money and the hierarchical structure to to be as effective as those other groups. and And if you can think of a workaround, I'd love to hear it.
0: Well, I mean, that's that's those are huge structural deterrents, right? To surmount and uh, the and it's not going away. I mean, they the earnings are. Uh, there's a tremendous momentum to the earnings there. So I guess. We can start to wind down with. We're talking a little bit about the spiritual cost. People abandon their their parents' religious belief system, and the current generations are they're disengaging, or they're, or some. As I was trying to quote from the Progressive Evangelicals, they're finding a way, but with with a minimum of resources, it's a really uphill project to take hold of that theology i i wanted to call out an opportunity for people who some of us missed the local chapter last week americans united for the separation of church and state the film producer robin voss presented at that meeting she was there in person the bible tells me so she is now working on a film that's going to be released as the presidential campaign season heats up the working title of which is True Believer. So I want for people to keep an eye peeled on Robin Voss's production. So I guess I want to give you an opportunity as we're closing and take your time, Terry. How do you take up engaging the other
1: as tribal differences solidify? Well, thank you for asking me that question because it feels like a challenge because mostly I stay in my little bubble in my We're uh, all progressive churches and the UCI faculty community, which is the most blue precinct in all of Orange County. What what I know that works for me is to talk to people in I language. So when when I... Um, talk to somebody who is a person of faith with very different belief system than me. I talk about what I believe, what I feel called to do, and I listen to their beliefs and what they feel called to do. And when you talk about it on that level, it, it doesn't get to the level of right and wrong as quickly so so talking from a spiritual perspective rather than a political perspective that political divide i do not know how to cross it and it's interesting because i just don't have to deal with those people but many of my parishioners did you know their their own family their their nuclear family and and in in some cases and in many cases their extended family were fervent trump supporters um evangelical and they're like what what God, do you worship? And um, I I was not able in the time I had to work with them and coach them and try to figure out how to have that conversation. Do you know Better Angels, that organization?
0: Well, we certainly can work that into some uh coverage better angels is new to me and many things are new to me
1: yeah it's an organization that has structured left-right conversations to to try to get people to stop demonizing each other i i will say that all of us i would invite us on an ethical basis to stop talking about the other side with contempt i say this knowing that I need to it's do it hard myself. That's hard work. Because contempt will always alienate.
0: It's corrosive. It yeah. does, you don't talk and, over contempt.
1: And, and my treating someone else with contempt is not okay. It doesn't matter whether I think they deserve it. In my ethics, that's not okay. And it's hard for me when I,
0: when I witness in a member of the of a a, a tribe not my tribe because I I have to acknowledge that I'm in a tribe that. That when I see so little information coming into to their processing, and I and I, it, contempt is the first reaction to that. Like how how dare you have the luxury of not even doing the work to become informed about what's going on that to
1: them? And you know, there again, it's my faith is says um, I don't get to judge. Uh. Now I get to evaluate and say I don't like that but I don't get to say you're a bad person because you do that. Of course I do to certain people, but I need to make space. I need to open my mind because anyone you're in contempt of, you will never have a conversation with. That's a given.
0: And contempt is a... It's an insidious, not just corrosive, it's an insidious sensibility. And, and it, I And
1: think we realize the extent to which the contempt of... Uh, for others you know the coastal culture for the heartland and for old-fashioned evangelicals has led to this backlash
0: and that that is a note we, we can proceed and take up at a later date because there are i've been consuming more media thinking about gee how would this be taken uh, consideration in the in the heartland so Terry this has been such a pleasure today I've been looking so forward to this thank you for being on the show and taking the time to coming in studio today so Terry LePage is has been my guest today and she is a tra- was the transitional minister at Brea Congregational United Church of Christ We'll talk with you next week with programming I'm working on for you all. Thank you, everyone, for listening.